What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Capo Podcast. It's me, your host, Sam, or Mr. Engelman, if you're under the age of about 25. Uh, Or if we're related, you probably know me as the crazy conspiracy theorist cousin that you have. Um, It's a dark and stormy night here in Beaver County, and you can probably hear my daughter screaming in the background on the first story. I'm up here in the loft. But anyway... I'm happy to have everybody tuning in. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you are tuning in from the seat of your car or your truck. Maybe the open road is boring enough that you needed something to listen to. Maybe you're at work, maybe you're at school, and your English teacher is giving a boring lecture, and you've got an earbud in the offside ear where you think he can't see it. He probably can. Whatever you're doing, lend me your ears, pay attention, tell your loved ones to shut up because it's time to get into our material for the day. So, this is the first podcast that I'm doing outside of the audiobooks. I'm finally done with all three books. Feels kind of like a weight off my chest, and I'm actually kind of excited to do this podcast because reading the audiobooks, I have to read, you know, from the books, and I get tongue-tied and messed up and misread things, and you can probably find a lot of mistakes in there. It's because it turns out that reading an audiobook is tougher than I thought it was. But I'm done with those now. I'm going to start doing um, probably weekly podcasts. Um, and I don't know what I'm going to do every week. Um, I'm going to try to stick to the, the description of the podcast that you guys may or may not have seen online. But the description says that other than audiobooks... Um, This podcast is going to be about history and philosophy and literature. Uh, It says preparedness and survival. It says cowboy stuff, morality, culture, Christianity, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, news, current events, and political analysis. That's a whole lot of stuff. And I'm going to try to stay within the realm of that and not do anything beyond that. And I think today this is probably going to be more of a, a... current events, news, a little bit of political analysis, but knowing me, it will probably all kind of circle back to some philosophy and some history and morality and culture stuff. But I'm just going to kind of start off with a couple notes here. Um, I'm not sure where I want the podcast to go, but I do want to talk about the Russia and Ukraine thing that's going on because that is all that's in the news. It's all everyone is talking about, so I figured, what the hell, I should probably talk about it too, Um, you know, because I'm probably at least more qualified than half the people I've seen on social media talking about it, even though I'm not qualified at all. But anyways, um, that's what I want to do today. I want to talk about the the Russia-Ukraine situation, uh, and probably the situation with gas and inflation and all of that that's going on. Uh, All of that's really confusing, especially the Russia thing. Um, We've been given this kind of, or what I've noticed is there's kind of this false dichotomy that's been presented about that situation, and it's beginning to take take shape in a a way that I think is kind of stupid and terrible, Um, but I also think that it makes sense that it's kind of happening that way. And that's what I'm going to start off with. So, first off, suddenly, 
all of these people on the the left side, the Democrat side, who for the past 20 years or more have been all about anti-nationalism and anti-gun and anti-war and anti-America, basically, half the time, they're all suddenly super Ukrainian patriots. I mean, nobody is more of a Ukrainian nationalist than some 20-something leftist sorority chick on Instagram. And that is what we're presented with as the correct stance to take if you're on the, the Democrat side of this. And suddenly these people who don't even think that you in America should be able to own any guns um, if you're in America, all of a sudden those same people think that uh, giving Ukrainian civ- civilians like javelin weapon systems and three days of training and pointing them toward the approaching hordes of Russian tanks and attack helicopters, all that is great. So it's full-on Red Dawn when it comes to Ukraine. But if this were Russia invading, say, you know, Washington State, the same people would be like, hold on, the, the Russians are entitled to their opinions and we should respect their lived experiences and America is racist and sucks anyway, so we should just surrender. Um, that's the level of cognitive dissonance that's happening on the left and it is astounding to me. Now, as I always try to be, uh, I'm going to be even harder on the right and the Republicans when it comes to this this Russia thing. And this gets me into a little bit of hot water with my fellow conservatives that are on my side, but someone needs to say this. And there are some people, if you listen to kind of like mainstream conservative podcasts, there are people saying this already, but I want to add my voice to that. There's this narrative on the right side that uh, Putin is actually the good guy in all of this, that the, the Ukrainians are the bad guys and the Russians are the good guys, and Putin is doing you know, exactly what he said he's doing. He's liberating Ukraine from a, a Jewish president who's secretly a Nazi somehow, and he's plotting with the U.S. to release deadly viruses from secret biolabs. And uh, that is retarded. Don't be retarded. Stop it. Quit. You sound retarded. Um, Now, saying that, I can see why this is gaining traction on the right. Because there is some tiny nuggets of truth in this giant pile of bullshit. Um, There are actually some biolabs in Ukraine. From everything I've read about it, from what's come out, these were... Soviet facilities that the U.S. took over after the end of Cold War to secure them and phase them out and down. So that is a nugget of truth. And why they haven't just shut them all the way down, like uh, I think Tulsi Gabbard was saying this the other day and gotten some hot water for it. She's right. We we probably shouldn't be playing with viruses and, you know, I don't know. Nobody read Frankenstein, but they probably should have. We probably shouldn't be messing with gain-of-function research and all that shit after the last couple years, right? I mean, can we can we at least agree on that yet? And you can't really blame someone for fearing that Western government elites might want to release a virus on the world after the last two or three years of COVID, the coronavirus stuff. They lied the entire time about COVID. They lied about where it came from. 
they they lied about what to do about it the mask the lockdowns um we had the greatest wealth transfer in all of human history from the low and the middle class to the richest dudes on the planet and these gigantic corporations so regular people got poor during covid and amazon google and all these other giants got filthy freaking rich and the government bureaucrats got so drunk on power they they've become literally like vampires sucking blood out of every neck they could find they're insatiable with it and in the last two and three years we have just crumpled up what was left of the constitution we they they wiped their ass with it and they flushed it down the toilet now and and that's what the democrats did it was the democrats that did that and they did it gleefully and they cackled the whole time they did it so i get why people on the right are getting caught up in this grand conspiracy idea about the bio labs in ukraine that makes sense i get people on the right not believing a single effing thing that they hear from the mainstream media honestly why should we believe Anything that CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, or even Fox News has said over the past two years of their, their BS propaganda lies about COVID. And I look around and I still, I still see morons wearing cloth masks and neck gaiters around. Even after the CDC and all the people in power have quietly admitted that it was all bullshit. These Democrats are still out there wearing these masks even after their leadership has given it up. So, yes, I get it. They can't be trusted. Why should we believe anything they say about Ukraine? But, and this is a big but, Vladimir Putin is a thug, a gangster, and a dictator. He is a a true old Soviet-style communist that worked for the the KGB. And when I say he's a true communist, what I mean by that is he's the type of guy that understands that the, the only real point of communism in the first place is to gain political power. All the communists at the top of the power structure, they actually got this. St- Stalin understood this. He understood that all the, all the, the philosophy about communism was just a, it was just a vehicle to gain power and wealth. Soviet-style Bolshevism isn't the best way to gain power anymore in the former Soviet Union, but Putin remembers that shit. He understands that there are ways to gain political power, and that's what he's after. And a lot of people in Russia have a, a favorable kind of nostalgic view of Stalin and the old Soviet Union because they were a world power and people respected them. Uh... Since the wall came down, and since Soviet communism was kind of embarrassed on the world stage, they have been kind of a joke since then. They're not, uh, they're not a first world country. Not really. They're a second world country with a nuclear arsenal. But they want to be taken seriously. And enter Putin. He knows if he can put Russia more at the forefront of the world, that his legacy, in in the meantime, he'll get more wealth and power. But his legacy will be positive if he can get Russia to be taken as a more serious world power. And that's why he's doing this. 
he's not doing it because he's some secret good guy. Um, he's not like he's using the the biolab thing as a weapon against the West, not because he's secretly like, oh, I'm gonna expose the biggest conspiracy that's ever existed. No, and he's not this sort of protector of the church like some people on the right think. He's just because he's not down with cultural progress progressivism and the western stuff like the you know all the trannies and the gays and some people on the right are like oh wow this guy doesn't like the lgbtq stuff so he's on my side and he's a good christian guy no he's he's not he's a gangster and he's a thug and he's a dictator he just knows how to present himself to his people also and Trump was right about this when he said it the other day. Putin is smart. He's not stupid. The, the dude knows what he's doing. And there's it's, it's he's not like Hitler. He's not a nutcase. He is intelligent and he's he's making calculated decisions. Now, he made a seems like he made a really big miscalculation because he obviously didn't expect Ukraine and a bunch of you know Ukrainian civilians to make him look like a fool on the world stage. He didn't expect Ukrainian farmers to be dragging off his tanks with their tractors, but he he's not a moron. Um, he's he knows what he's doing. He he's basically kicked up on his desk right now reading Machiavelli and following it word for word, word for word. Like he's he's presenting himself as he's supposed to to keep his power. So this false dichotomy that I was talking about that's being presented is this. Democrats are pro-Ukraine and the media is pushing this and saying that anyone who isn't in lockstep with them is pro-Russian. And sadly, several people on the right are falling for this and they're saying, fine, we are for Russia. Don't fall for that, dummies. Putin and Russia are invading a sovereign nation that was not a threat to them. They are in the wrong. If you're supporting Russia, you are morally in the wrong here. And there's no way really around that. Um, so the next question is, what is the right position to have on this? Does that mean that I support World War III? Because that's the next pitfall. If I say that I hope Ukraine digs in their boots into the soil and they bleed the Russian war machine until it's dry, and that they kill every last SOB that invades them. If I say that, people on the right will clutch their, their pearls and faint and say, oh my gosh, you want to start a world war with Russia. No. There aren't any grown-ups with souls that want to see World War Three happen. Nobody wants that. Now, there are some soulless politicians that would love to see that. Um, basically, anyone who's been in Washington for more than a couple decades wants World War III because all their family members are married to each other and they all sit on the boards of Raytheon and Boeing and Lockheed Martin. And, you know, they're the rest of the military-industrial complex... That, and that's not a conspiracy theory. That's just the truth. All these people who've been in Washington for 50 years 
the the swamp is a real thing. All those people are married to each other. They all hang out together. All of their kids and their nephews and their cousins work for Boeing, Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, and they have they make money when America goes to war. The establishment makes money from war, uh, and the establishment establishment politicians love war, and that's why they are banging the war drums. Your your Hillary Clinton types, your your Pelosi's, your Schumer's, um, and then on the right, your your Lindsey Graham's, your Mitt Romney's, your Mitch McConnell's. Basically, they all are because ninety percent of the House and Senate, those people wouldn't mind a World War Three, because war is a good distraction for people, and it almost always means an easy reelection for them as incumbents. Uh, the Democrats can see how bad the midterms are going to be for them. They're not all morons. And that's why they've all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all the Democrats are rushing to drop the mask mandate and the vax mandates and anything unpopular like that. They've all rushed away from it and they're trying to make people forget about it. And instead they're they're waving Ukrainian flags and saying, oh, hooray for Ukraine. We must do, you know, the right thing to protect Western democracy. They can see that that is a winning strategy for the midterms. If you are, if you're waving Ukrainian flags and you're saying Russia's evil, they shouldn't have evaded, we should protect the Western world and democracy and freedom, that is a winning strategy. People can get behind that. And that's how democracy works. Uh, government by the people. I saw this video the other day. Government by the people, for the people, and of the people. But the people are retarded. Because everyone is going to forget by the end of 2022 that it was the Democrats that shut down the whole country. They wrecked the economy. They lied about COVID. They tried to cover up the truth. Uh, and they're the ones that showed weakness on the world stage, which invited Putin's invasion in the first place. We're so dumb that we're going to forget about all that. I mean, two years ago, everyone on the right was saying, hey, uh, Hunter Biden's laptop just leaked and the elections are right around the corner. And every mainstream media outlet said that was bullcrap. And I'm recording this today on March 17th. And the head, like the top news story today was the New York Times finally admitted, yeah, Hunter Biden's laptop was a real thing. You're two years too late. And everybody knows that you tried to shut it down for two years because that helped Biden get elected. That is how cynical they are. And they, everybody who pays attention knows that they're that cynical. The problem is most people don't pay attention. The people, again, are retarded, and they're going to forget. Now, so that's the only calculation they're making is getting reelected. It's the only thing that, that the bureaucracy cares about is perpetuating itself. Re-election, re-election, re-election. This is, why, this is why we don't have term limits, even though 99.9% .9 of Americans want term limits and support term limits and have for the last forever. You know, the last two decades, term limits have been a, a big thing, and yet here we are 20 years later, and we don't have term limits. How come? It's because everybody who works up there doesn't want them. They don't care that you, the people, want term limits. They don't want term limits. They're getting too good of a deal. They're all getting filthy freaking rich by insider trading in the military-industrial complex. 
that's not once again i know a lot of people call me the crazy conspiracy theorist cousin but this isn't conspiracy this is just true and if you pay attention you can see it um so that's their reasons but just as a general question why shouldn't we just kick russia's ass right like okay take that aside their reasons are their own why not why don't we just beat russia up why are we ignoring our obligation to ukraine because we do have one uh, by the way nobody's talking about it not really but back in the 90s we promised ukraine that we'd never let anything happen to them or their sovereignty if they would give up their nukes and their nuke program and they turned around and they said sure we'll give up our nukes because america won't let russia stomp us into the dirt now here we are a couple decades later and we're just kind of pretending that that agreement never happened because that's a very inconvenient agreement for us now um and we aren't doing anything because putin knows he can bully and push around democrats and other liberal leftist western leaders and it really is that simple there's a reason that putin invaded crimea while obama was in the white house and then Putin didn't do Jack Diddley while Trump was in the White House. Now Biden's in the White House, and he is. Uh, Putin is now taking over, or trying to take over the west of U- rest of Ukraine. There's a reason for that. Putin knows he can just threaten to push his big red button, and Biden will just crap his pants and wander off looking for, you know, a kid to sniff or molest or whatever. This isn't new, and it's been that way forever. Weak leaders invite bad actors to act badly. This is, if there's an eternal truth, that's it. If you put people in charge that are not serious people, the world takes notice of that. And there is no one more unserious than modern American leadership. Think about what our leaders present as the most important issues. Sex changes, trannies, rainbow parades, you know, feminism, pretending that women can do anything men can do, clutching our pearls over global warming, shutting down the energy sector. These are the things that our leaders babble on about endlessly. This is what we think is important. While the Russian military is training for war, the U.S. military is trying to figure out how to make flight suits for pregnant women and be inclusive. While Russian schools are showing boys and girls how to field strip AK-47s, American schools are showing boys and girls how they can cut off their breasts or chop off their dicks and transition into the gender they feel like as early as elementary school. Don't believe me? Listen to all the screaming over Florida's Don't Say Gay bill. It's a bill that literally says, hey, you can't teach kindergarten through third grade kids about gay sex and sex changes and body mutilation. And the left is melting down about that because they are all pedophiles at heart, apparently. So that, that is why we can't get involved because half of our country is lost completely in a fairy tale land of trannies and rainbows. Now, I've heard people openly say, that if we were to get involved in the war, it would bring the country together. Maybe they say, you know, maybe World War III would unite us like World War I and World War II did. 
as Americans, we have this idea that war is something that will unite the country. But that, I don't know, that just isn't the case most of the time. Um, yes, World War II brought, you know, not just America, but World War II brought the West together for a time. But we're looking at this through the lens of America and the West, you know, from 1900 to 1950. That was a time when most Americans shared some sort of philosophy and belief of who we were as a people. And that is, is just not the case today. As much as we wish that we were united and that we could come together and hold hands and you know, sing kumbaya. That's that's just not going to happen in 2022. We do not have similar philosophies and beliefs throughout the country anymore. the The goals of the left and the goals of the right are not compatible. Uh, and wars don't always bring countries together. Sometimes, more often than not, they actually tear countries apart. Take the take the civil war in America, for example. The Civil War was a case of, of two differing philosophies and visions clashing within a, within a culture. It wasn't, no, it wasn't a, you know, a, the good, heroic, anti-slavery people were in the North and the evil, bad slavery people were in the South. That isn't the real history of the Civil War. And this is one of my, you know, this is one of my soapboxes that I get on. That's what you were taught in high school, and North good, South bad, uh, but that's... N- that's not the real history of it. The struggle of the Civil War grew out of philosophical differ- disagreements, arguments, and it really goes back to like Federalist and Anti-Federalist in early America. Even before the Declaration, we had Federalist versus Anti-Federalist. And the Federalist thought that the greatest threat to natural rights and the security of the people was something they called political faction. And you can go read the Federalist. It's Federalist Number 10 by James Madison. And if you want to read something that is really good and will teach you about your country, you should go read it. So, Federalists like James Madison and many other founding fathers thought that the federal government should be created to keep political factions from forming between the states and causing war and upheaval between the states. That was the history of Europe, they knew, and they didn't want that same history for America. Now, on the other side, anti-federalists thought that the greatest threat to natural rights and the security of the people was tyranny of the government. Thomas Jefferson and other anti-federalists were worried that the federal government would grow too powerful and become just as corrupt and power-hungry as the King of England. The federalists won out, and that's where we get the Constitution and our system of government being a, a union instead of a confederation of states. And, you know, the Federalists went out, but it's not like all the Anti-Federalists said, you know what, you're right. We, we totally agree with you and we give up on our idea. Because fast forward 80 years, and these two mindsets are still very prevalent, you have Southerners who favor more power to the states, and you have northerners who favor more power to the federal government. And then suddenly Lincoln is elected, a guy who had basically zero support in all southern states. He, he wasn't even on the ballot in most of the south. So this led southern states to say, well, see, you have the federal government 
who is going to overstep its bounds and try to exact power on the states that isn't spelled out in the Constitution. So South Carolina secedes from the Union, and the response by the Federalists, by the federal government, is to call up a million-man army and move on South Carolina. And when Lincoln did that, even the people on the fence in the South said, whoa, 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 you can't just invade South Carolina. That's acting pretty tyrannical. And these were the these were like moderates in the South that thought that. Robert E. Lee was a pretty he was pretty moderate comparably to other people in the South who they called fire eaters, who were all for secession and all for the Confederacy. That's not where Robert E. Lee started. Lincoln even asked Robert E. Lee to lead the Union Army, and Lee turned him down. Now, Lee wrote his son a letter, and he said that the dissolution of the United States was a terrible thing, a deep, saddening thing. And his view is representative of most Southerners at the time. They viewed it as this failure of America. It was a failure of this grand experiment by the founders. And Lee said, and this is kind of the important part and what I'm trying to get at, Lee said that if the only way to preserve the Union was by invasions and force of arms, then the Union wasn't worth having. And he thought it was very sad, but that's what he, that's what he thought. And that, that is what caused the Civil War. The Northerners were fighting to preserve the Union, and the Southerners were fighting because they viewed it as an invasion of their sovereignty. Differing philosophies that were, that were irreconcilable with each other. So, all of that to say this. Do you really think that Americans in 2022 are more united philosophically than Americans were in 1860? Do you think that Lincoln and Lee were more aligned in their fundamental beliefs or less aligned in their fundamental beliefs than, say, Alexandria Casio-Cortez and Ted Cruz? I'm going to give you a second. Do you think? Because I don't. We, we're philosophically more divided now than they were in 1860. And they fought a war over it that killed over half a million people in a time when the population was something around... Oh, I'm going to mess this up. I'm guessing like 25 million is my guess. Somebody Google it and tell me how close I am. Now, we've got like 330 million people in America. So at a time when we were only about 25 million, they fought a war that killed over half a million people. So no, I don't think war would bring America together. More than likely, it would be, it would be another nail into the coffin of America as we know it since the end of the Civil War. And you might say, well, 9-11 wasn't all that long ago, and that brought America together. Did it? Did it really? I'll grant you it, it brought America together for all of a couple weeks. Like, okay, a little more. Like, for, I don't know, we'll call it two years. Everybody was rah-rah, flag-waving, and cheering for the war in Afghanistan and Iraq for the first couple years, maybe. And then it went hard swing the other way. So much so, by the end of his, by the end of his run, 
George W. Bush was considered a war criminal and, you know, he was Satan himself to the people on the left. They hated George W. Bush by the end of his term. And then after him came Obama. Now, did Obama bring the country together? Sure he did, right? Yeah. See, this is where the the people on the left or people who don't really know much will say that he did. Now, granted, the media loved him and Hollywood loved him and pop culture loved him and Saturday Night Live loved him. But half of the country hated him because of his leftist policies. I mean, especially kind of out here in Red America, he wanted to pass cap and trade, which was carbon taxes. That would have gutted the oil and gas industry, and it would have destroyed the most of the cattle industry overnight. That was Obama. Half the country hated him. And then, after him, who comes along? Did Trump bring the country together? Once again, nope. Now I get to piss off my own side again. Trump did not bring the country together. He didn't. Half the country hated him, and they hated him even worse than they hated George W. Bush. You should certainly, you know, you can see the evidence of that. And now we have Biden. Now has Biden brought the country together? Come on. Even even if you're the most hardcore leftist, you know he hasn't. It's only gotten worse. And all of these guys, Bush and then forward, are not causing this division. They are just showing you how divided the country is. America is not united. Uh, and we can't really expect it to be at this point. It's, it's not the way of the world. It's not the way of history. Political faction happens, and you can't stop it. This is why I told you you need to read Federalist Number 10. The Federalist understood that political faction will always happen um, because of human nature. That's why they created the Constitution. It was supposed to be a way to hold political faction at bay, to balance the government so one group didn't gain too much power. But we gave up on that. We added and added and added to the Constitution, and then we did even more. We bloated the federal government to the point where, where the federal government is attempting to do everything. The federal government isn't just concerned with what its job is lined out to be in the Constitution. It's doing everything. And it's not supposed to. It's not designed to do that. That's why it's not working. So now here we are. We are looking at Russia invade a sovereign nation in Europe. And that's something that wasn't supposed to happen anymore. We were all supposed to be holding hands and just, you know, getting rid of all our fossil fuels. And we were supposed to live in this beautiful utopian future where there was no war in the civilized first world anymore, which arguably Ukraine isn't really that first world. But I digress. We, we forgot that human nature doesn't change. And I told you this was going to swing back around to philosophy and history and all that good stuff. But we, we are who, we, who we've always been. Political faction is unavoidable. Powerful governments concern themselves only with perpetuating their power and bettering their position. That is unavoidable, too. We will fight over resources just like we always have. And we are, 
we're very ill-prepared to face up to this because 99, well, not 99, 95, we'll say, percent of people don't understand anything about human nature. And that's always been a problem, but it's even a, it's a big problem in modern America. And it's ironic for us in the Western world, in America and Western Europe, it's ironic because arguably the crowning achievement of the West was its understanding of human nature and the study of it. The Greeks and the Roman philosophers, the Europeans during the Renaissance, Shakespeare, the founders of America, Orwell, Huxley, William Golding, the great British novelist, uh, Ray Bradbury in America, all of our most famous political philosophical works, our drama, our novels, all of it in the West was always about human nature, what it was, and what it was like. And we seem to have kind of forgotten about that. It's also ironic that we're we're talking about Russia too, because if there is if there's another culture besides the West that learned lessons on human nature and learned them the hard way, it was the Russians. Um, and you can tell this by reading uh, Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky. I don't know how to say his name. Dostoevsky. He wrote Crime and Punishment, and then Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote about it in the Gulag Archipelago. Russians learned about human nature very harshly through through the rise of the Bolsheviks and the Soviet Union. Uh, so both sides have kind of, I don't know, either ignoring or forgotten about human nature. And that's why everybody's just flabbergasted and doesn't understand what's going on. How could this happen? This is, it's 2022. How could this happen that's the same thing people said during World War II when they were lining up Jews and putting them on cattle cars while they were standing in line the Jews were saying how could this possibly happen it's we're in Europe and it is 1940 how is this possible it's possible because human nature is what it is and it will always be that um that's all that kind of stuff is going to happen and it happens even more often when we kind of forget or ignore human nature but we don't like to be told that. People want to be told uh, what to do about this Russia-Ukraine situation. They want to be told that there's like this right answer that will that will fix it, <laughs> and uh, th- there's not. There isn't a there isn't a good answer. There's no really good options. This whole situation is a tragedy, and it's probably going to get worse. It might not. I saw today in the news that like uh, it looked like that Russia and Ukraine, some of their peace talks might have been productive today. So maybe it will get better, but it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And if the U.S. gets more involved than it already is, we're, we are risking war with Russia. If we get less involved, Russia takes Ukraine over it, it installs like a puppet government like it has in Belarus. Um, here in a few more years, they're going to be eyeing the next former Soviet state to roll into Russian influence. Maybe maybe Poland. Good luck there. Poland will. If Ukraine doesn't stop the Russians, maybe Poland will. Um, so maybe the best outcome is 
the Ukrainians keep on fighting and Russia keeps kind of squandering their... They're not doing great right now. Um, maybe Russia gets stuck into a kind of quagmire of a war that lasts for decades. That would be horrible and terrible and awful and thousands of people would die. But that's probably what's going to happen. And sadly, it's probably the best outcome the West can hope for at this point. Um, so there's there's no really good answers to the to the Russia-Ukraine situation and that's that's just how it is uh i do i will say you got to really hand it to the ukrainians though the civilian population is really organizing and gunning up and taking it to the russian army in a way that i think surprised everyone and it it especially surprised putin i think i don't think putin saw that one coming um but that's kind of interesting that was something that uh Nobody thought was going to happen, and it's it's great to see a sovereign nation stand up to defend its borders. So my next question to you is, do you think that would happen in America? Because I saw a news story today that wasn't surprising, but it was probably surprising to a lot of people. It was a, it was a poll, uh, a Quinnipiac poll that came out, and... It looks like only about half of Americans say they would they would fight. The rest say that if if what is happening in Ukraine happened in America or like in their, you know, in their neighborhood in their state, about half of Americans say they would run away and leave America rather than stay and fight. And what half is that? Well, you can probably guess, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So, only only 45% of Americans 18 to 34 said they would stay and fight, which is disheartening because guess who is the military age, you know, guess who your fighting men are? That is Americans 18 to 34. That's your fighting age men um, for the most part. And only 45% of those Americans said they would fight. When they asked, uh, the poll was broken up several different ways, and one of the ways was uh, they asked Republicans. Now, Republicans said uh, 68% said they would stay and they would fight. Independents said 57% would stay and fight, and Democrats, only 40% said they would stay and fight. Now, if it really got down to it, and like, I mean, if we got down to the nut cutting and it was actually happening and there was an actual choice whether you could stay or go, those percentages are going to drop. Because uh, th- there's a difference between saying you'll stay and fight and actually staying and fighting if it got down to it. So how how far down would those percentages fall? I don't know. I would say at least by half, right? Less than half, probably. So not 68%, not 57%, not 40%. You're probably going to have, you know, a militia made up of 30% Republicans, 20% independents, and maybe 10% of Democrats. And what about, uh, beyond that, what about the standing military? Historically, the bulk of the U.S. kind of fighting force has leaned to the right politically, uh, especially since Vietnam, the the modern left is kind of built on the on this anti-war anti-military foundation because it grew out of the 
the revolutionary hippie commie movement of the 60s. So that's kind of where the modern left started was the, you know, the long-haired hippies in the 60s. But um, but that's starting to change now. All of the high-ranking military leaders, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the top brass of all branches, they are all creatures of the, the progressive movement. Most of them are leftist. And you can tell because of what they are concerned with. It is not military readiness. It is the, like, the woke agenda nonsense. They, these guys that are in charge, the Joint Chiefs and the top brass, they aren't actually fighting men. They're just politicians. Um, all of your fighting men are down the chain of command. They're not up it. And what about those guys? Well, since Biden took office, they've been trying to cull out their political opposition almost openly. Like the the first directive after the January 6th, you know, quote unquote insurrection was to to hunt down and purge any military members that, you know, that might like Trump a little too much. Right. Um, Then after that, the vax mandates. Who are the ones that don't want to take the COVID vax in the military? You can bet that most of them are on the right. And they aren't, uh, they aren't granting hardly... I think they've granted one religious exemption, and that's it. Um, they're discharging anybody who refuses to take the vax, eventually. And who's, who's getting out, then? Who are these guys that are getting out of the military? Well, a lot of them are, you know, your right-leaning, your your good old boys who are getting out. Uh, and a lot more who aren't getting out and probably aren't going to re-up once, once the time comes. The more, the more of the woke nonsense that makes its way into the military, the less effective it is and the more, the more morale will fall among conservatives in the military. Uh, and if you don't think that the top brass and the administration, the Biden administration, if you don't think that they know that the vax mandate is a way to weed out their political opposition in the military, you are kidding yourself. That's why they are sticking to their guns on the on the military vax while they're rolling back all the other mandates and all the, you know, mask mandates, vax mandates. They're rolling all that shit back because we're coming up to the midterms and it's not as popular as it was. But they're leaving the military one in place because they know that that vax mandate in the military is is conservatives are going to self-cull themselves out of the military and the Democrats don't have to do it themselves. So, and are, are there the young kind of Gen Z conservatives, the few that there are because there aren't very many, are they going to want to join a military that's run by politicians and trannies and bureaucrats? No. No, they're not. So again, do you want America to go to war when the commander-in-chief wears adult diapers and doesn't know where he is? Do you want America to go to war when the vice president is only there because she's the token black female and she's good at blowjobs? Do you want America to go to war when the top brass is as woke and nutty as a board of directors for a gender studies program at a university? No. 
no, you do not want to go to war with America in that state. Um, that's not just political partisanship. That's common freaking sense. Your military leaders can't be the same people as your, your gender studies professors. Okay? That doesn't work. Um, the, the purpose of the military is to kill people and break shit. And you can't put people in charge like, I don't know, like Millie, who is n- not a serious person. Um, our leadership isn't qualified to run a war, much less World War III, for crying out loud. Maybe they're qualified to run a circus or a freak show, because that is what they are. They're clowns. Um, so if we were running a circus, that'd be great, but we're talking about World War III. So... Again, there are really no good answers, people. I'm not here to tell you that I have a solution to it. Um, There isn't really a solution in the existing structure we have in government. I'd love to tell you that that we could just vote the right people in and things would turn around, but nobody believes that either. Not really. Um, The incumbent candidate almost always wins. Uh, The Constitution has been thrown aside and replaced with a thousand bureaucracies. And they're only concerned with feeding themselves and furthering their power. It's a giant shit sandwich that has been in the making for almost a century, and all of us are going to get to take a bite of it. Uh, The best thing that you can hope for as an American, and I'll I'll give you probably, I'll give you two two answers to to what might happen, and I'm going to give you the cynical, I'm going to give you the cynical answer first. So the cynical answer is the best thing you can hope for as an American is a, is a peaceful separation of the country along political lines. The right and the left are irreconcil- irreconcilable. They have different philosophies. They have different goals. They have, they're different cultures completely. Think about two Americans. One of them is a, a registered Republican uh, a rural-dwelling kind of farmer-rancher-laborer type from a small county in Oklahoma, Beaver, Oklahoma, right? The other is a registered Democrat, uh, a city-dwelling community organizer living and working in Washington, D.C. What do these two people have in common? I'm letting you think about it. First, they they both speak English, so there's one, right? Those two people both speak the English language, probably. Um, And they both probably liked Game of Thrones on HBO, because that was an awesome show. Is there anything else that those two people have in common? Not, no, probably not. And uh, I hate to tell you this, that's not enough in common to make a culture and a country work. When the country was founded, Jefferson and the others wrote the Declaration of Independence. It wasn't just a formal breakup letter to England. It was a it was largely a declaration of values that were meant to be held in common by them as Americans. It was the American philosophy. And this philosophy was a a belief in natural law and natural rights. It was classical liberal ideas from John Locke. They believed that they were self-evident truths, and those truths were very simple. We believe that we are created by God and that he endowed us with natural rights to life, liberty, 
property, and the pursuit of happiness. Because those rights come from God and not from government, the government has no right to take them away. In fact, the only legitimate purpose of government is to secure natural rights. And if it isn't doing that, it's the right and the duty of the people to revolt against that form of government and burn it to the ground and replace it. That is what the Declaration of Independence says. Which is probably why public schools are kind of squeamish about actually teaching it and explaining it. That is what early Americans believed. Whether they were Federalist or Anti-Federalist, even as separated as they were, all of these early Americans believed in those in that philosophy broadly. They believed they believed in it enough to die for it. And at that point when they were signing the declaration, it was pretty likely that they were going to die for it. And that's why uh, the declaration ends with these guys saying that they pledged to each other their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. That's how it ends. Now, that's not us anymore. I wish it was, but it's not. And we can't endure as a country if we don't have these common values anymore. If we don't, if we don't believe in natural rights and uh, natural law anymore, which we don't, then then there's there's no common value. So that's the best you can hope for, a, a peaceful separation. And then uh, you can hope that a new, a new foundation is kind of built on those values again among the Americans that actually do believe in them. Because there are millions of Americans who believe in natural rights, natural law, that, that believe in the founding of the country. Millions of Americans believe that, but millions more do not. Um, so that's what you can hope for, I guess. And until we do that, like until there is this kind of peaceful separation, cross your fingers for peaceful, we're just going to keep on limping along, headed nowhere really good or positive, bloated bureaucracies accomplishing nothing great or lasting or important. The cynical answer that I'm giving you says that we are at the end of the line for America as a sort of empire as we know it. And I think, I read this book again the other day, I think that Ray Bradbury summed it up really good in Fahrenheit 451. And I'll give you a couple quotes on that no- from that novel, and then I'll give you my, my optimistic answer. So in Fahrenheit 451, Ray Bradbury writes, uh, this is one of the characters named Faber, and he's talking to the protagonist. And he says, The whole culture is shot through. The skeleton needs melting and reshaping. Good God, it is not as simple as just picking up a book you laid down half a century ago. He says, our civilization is flinging itself to pieces. Stand back from the centrifuge. So, that's the cynical answer. Stand back. Stand back and and get yourself ready. Now, secondly, I'll give you my optimistic answer. And this is the one I know that y'all think I'm very cynical, this is the one I really hope will be true. I hope that that my optimistic answer is right. And my optimistic answer is that America could possibly have a sort of, of renaissance, an American renaissance, 
where large swaths of the population start to care about the the philosophies again, the ideas, the the founding ideas. Uh, and I don't mean like empty bullcrap patriotism of like wearing a an American flag cutoff shirt and chanting MAGA over and over. That's not what I mean. I mean real a real actual reawakening of the importance of the ideas that bring us together. That's my optimistic answer. That's what I hope happens. But for that to happen, people are probably going to have to put down their phones and pick up a book and read it. Maybe two. Might have to read two books, right? Maybe. But even if that happens, it's not enough if it's just the people kind of reading old stuff and understanding the ideas again. Art and literature are going to have to get on board too. We're going to have to to hearken back to truth and beauty in our art and our literature and our TV shows and our movies. We're going to have to emulate the classics of our own history just like the Europeans did in their renaissance with Greek and Roman art and drama and architecture. A nation sitting around watching the Kardashians and listening to morally bankrupt rap and pop music isn't going to do that. That nation isn't going to have a renaissance. A nation that celebrates ugliness instead of beauty isn't going to do it. Bruce Jenner can't be woman of the year, okay? Why not? Well, because he's a dude and he's ugly, right? So slutty, disgusting, moralless women can't be who little girls look up to. Sorry, no fat models either. We shouldn't be encouraging little girls to be disgusting landwells for obvious reasons. Beauty is important. On the other side, cracked out retards mumble rapping about sex, drugs, and money can't be the role models for our young boys. Sorry, that can't happen. Neither can shitty, arrogant athletes that barely speak English. Neither can dudes wearing makeup and skirts. The role models of the children of your country matter, and they matter deeply. A nation that doesn't believe in a higher power, and this is the next thing, if we don't believe in some sort of higher power, we're also not going to have this American renaissance. And that's probably the biggest and the hardest hurdle, the one that we're probably not going to jump. If we believe in nothing higher than the supremacy of mankind and, you know, quote, science, we aren't going to do it. Even if you don't believe in God, you're going to need to take a step back and look at history and see that that religion provides a moral structure and it's the ad, it's the adhesive mixture to your culture. There's never been a long-term successful culture built on atheism that isn't an absolute tyrannical nightmare. China is probably the longest-running atheist country. Um, and is that what you want to be? The Soviet Union before that? And we saw how that turned out. Um, and the West, largely for the last few decades, has been a, an atheist culture. And we can see how that's going. So, you have to have some sort of belief in the higher power or you don't believe in natural law and natural rights. Those, those are irreconcilable. Because if man is the highest power, 
and man creates government, then man also creates the rights. And if man creates the rights, man can take them away. Um, and here's another thing. This is another hurdle. Even if we are religious, that religion has to be founded in truth or it won't work. It has to be concerned with its own morality and its own truth and its own scripture or it's not going to work. Joel Olstein and Cotton Candy Christianity aren't going to cut it because that's not true religion. That's not the true moral structure. Um, and I was talking about this in an earlier episode called God and the Truth, if you listen to that one. You need God and the truth if you're going to have a country that is free and successful. You can have a country that's successful without God and the truth, but it ain't going to be free. It's going to be a sort of tyranny. Um, so, the optimistic person in me tells you, cross your fingers uh, for the American Renaissance. Um, but don't hold your breath, right? So, uh, cross your fingers, but don't hold your breath. That's a tall order. There's the, the American Renaissance is a very tall order. There are some sparks of hope on that front that I kind of see. Um, but it's a, it's a spark out in the middle of a dark field. And that's about all that I can say about it. Uh, an example of that would be like, uh, the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro's company, like making movies that are outside the influence of Hollywood and that aren't just obsessed with pushing like woke agenda stuff. And that's a great start, but, uh, and they're only getting more popular, so that's good. And I did see, I watched a movie the other day on Netflix, and I was I was pleasantly surprised that there was almost no there was almost no woke agenda in it at all. It was just a fun movie, and that was a that was a breath of fresh air. So maybe, maybe some people are starting to kind of see like, hey, maybe every single thing shouldn't be about, you know, trannies, gays, and global warming. Maybe that's not the best way to present entertainment because half of America is just going to turn it off. So maybe. I hope. I hope we're getting there. Uh, the one thing I do know is that all of this stuff isn't just going to fix itself. All the people hoping that the pendulum is going to just swing back the other way all on its own, uh, they can't see the bigger picture and how ugly it actually is. Our, our art and culture and truth and morality have been so long have been under the steady pressure from like Marxists that are integrated into Hollywood and universities. It's been going on for so long in the West that it's, it's not just going to come swinging back the other way. You are going to have to pull it yourself. Millions of Americans are going to have to pull back the culture individually if this American Renaissance is going to happen. That would be awesome, uh, but I I just don't know if people are going to be willing to do that. We're we're too comfortable right now. We've got we've got too many distractions um, that make it hard for us to to fight for anything. So, anyways, I guess that's where I'll leave it. I'm at an hour. I've kind of run out of stuff to say about it. Uh, I'll leave you with, with uh, cross your fingers, don't hold your breath, and go Ukraine. I'm cheering for Ukraine and the, the civilians that are popping 
popping Russian invaders. Long live Ukraine. See you guys next time.